You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. When I got up there, there was nobody on the lake. There was nobody there. It was it was awesome. Um, and, and I had my pontoon boat. Um, but I just got the boat off of my truck and getting ready to get in the water, and the wind came up. And it howled, Mark. And it must have been blowing probably 50 kilometers an hour. It was so strong. Hmm. And I'm like, I come all the way up here. Like, I'm not going back. <laughs> but it was uncomfortably strong. Anyway, I got in it, and it blew me across the lake. I managed to drop an anchor, um, and I, I was there for like six hours, and I'm not getting anything. I'm not moving because I just, like, if you try and move, you know, you're just going to get blown all over the place. So I just hunkered down, and I just cast and strip and cast and strip. The point where I was getting bored, I was starting to nod off, and I was I was casting a shrimp pattern that I had, and then just like out of the blue, without any warning, this fish hits. It comes out of the water, and it's as bright chrome as a steelhead. It's probably at least 10 pounds. It's huge, biggest trout I've ever seen, and it tail walks about eight feet across the water, and it's gone. <laughs> wow. My hands are shaking so bad I can hardly even hold my rod. But it was so exciting, and there was so much adrenaline, and I was completely in awe. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Thanks for joining us this time around. And we are going to take you out to Vancouver Island in British Columbia, Canada. We've got Wes Penny on the line. Now, Wes, well, he spent uh, 19 years with the Victoria Police Department. He uh, spent six years with the Douglas Lake Ranch, beautiful facility in, in beautiful BC here, and is also a moderator on the Stillwaters site, avid tire, avid fly fisher, Wes, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm real happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad we finally got a chance to catch up, and uh, we're going to talk about what you're up to, some of your favorite fly time patterns. I, I really, uh, I know you tie some pretty mean flies, so we'll, we'll get into that and kind okay. of your, your fly fishing story. I always like to start right at kind of square one. How, yeah. did, how did you discover fly fishing? Where did it all start for you, Wes? Well, you know, it's probably like a lot of guys in that, you know, I grew up with a dad that fished and as a youngster, just, you know, going out with him, um, kind of one neat thing for me is I was born in, when I was young, I was born in Zimbabwe or to me was, was Rhodesia back then. And, uh, I used to watch my dad do a lot of fishing. I have slides of him with, you know, dozens of huge tiger fish on the bank that they would, you know, rack up and smoke right there on the riverbank. Mm. And then moving to Canada and ending up in all of Canada, we ended up in Kitimat. 
and uh, so as a young kid growing up there, I'd often go onto the river with my dad, and you know we'd all be casting these kitimat lures for springs and coho and whatever else was in the river. So that was kind of you know early fishing for me. Um, and then when I turned, I think probably 19, I left Kitimat and uh, moved to Vancouver Island. Ended up um, um, in Victoria. And then just, you know, life and circumstances, I, I just stopped fishing. And I never f fished until, uh, you know, the odd time I'd go in the ocean with a buddy if he'd ask me but really to get into any kind of fishing. It never happened until about 2004. Okay. What happened? What were you doing in 2004 that you came to to find find it again? Well, I was policing in Victoria, and uh, I was dating a girl at the time, and we had gone on a holiday. And I, you know, again, I've never really talked to her about fishing or anything, but we ended up going on a holiday, taking our trailer and going across to to Banff and through the Kootenays, and we were on our way back, and uh, we stopped at this little rest stop right on the Kootenay River. I didn't have a license. I really knew very little about anything with fishing, but I always kept a little spinning rod under the, you know, the back bench of my truck. So <laughs> I went and grabbed it. And I had like a, I think I had one Panther Martin type lure on it. And uh, I walked over to the river and I told her, you know, said, if anybody drives in here, yell at me. So I'm probably not really supposed to be doing this. So I'm standing there and I'm casting. I ended up you know, catching this maybe about a 12 inch. I think it was a, uh, I think it was a rainbow. This beautiful little wild rainbow and you know great fight and i'm just giggling like a like a kid in school having a great time he's watching me and then i end up snagging it on a branch and i'm waiting i'm i didn't dress down in my underwear and i wade into the kootenai river up to just about my armpits to get this one <laughs> lure back just in case i want to do it again anyway we end up getting back into the car and we're driving down the highway and she, she looks at me and she said, you know, says to me, she says, I never knew you liked fishing so much. And I said, I love fishing. I grew up fishing with my dad. I just stopped, you know, just the way things are. And I said, one day I think I'm going to really want to learn how to fly fish. And that was kind of the end of our conversation. And then uh, about three months later was my birthday and she gives me a fly rod, a reel, line, flies, lessons. And that started it. And, uh, <laughs> I bet. I mean, I still have, she gave me a you know, Fenwick um, HMX, nine foot to six weight with the Fenwick reel. I still have it. I still use it. I won't, I won't get rid of it. It has lots and lots of, you know, um, value to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, that kind of started the whole thing. And, uh, you know, then it's thousands of dollars later, and all different boats and different flies and different experiences. And Oh, yeah. Away you go. So that's a good. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, and and the fact that she wrecked, she probably saw the smile on your face and said, "Oh, yeah, he looks like he's yeah. into that." Yeah, so, understand knowing it, and uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. If you yeah. had to name some people that have been influential in your fly fishing learning curve, and I'm sure you've got, um, you know, the company you keep. I know you've got um, a few people in your corner there, but who who would you say you've learned from the most? If you had to pick a couple. You know, I don't, I don't know that I've learned a lot from one specific person or a couple. A lot of my, when I, when I first got into fly fishing, um, most of it was learned online and through FlyBC, which was probably the number one fly fishing forum in Western Canada. Um, so I started with that, 
got to know some guys locally and went out with them. Um, but then Fly BC twice a year would do their spring and fall fishing. And I would go to that. I would, you know, I'd, uh, I'd take time off work. Um, and I was lucky, you know, when, when I was policing, I, I got a lot, uh, quite a bit of time off. But I would take probably three weeks to a month in the spring, usually May. And then in late September, October, I'd take another month off. And I'd grab my trailer. I'd head to the interior. Um, I'd hook up with the guys going to the fishing and um, and then just go camping and fishing for a month. And that was kind of how I, um, you know, just maintained the, um, you know, urge need to go fishing. Um, but it was meeting a lot of those guys that, you know, did that for years, year after year after year. It was these same guys that I'd meet and hook up with that became very good friends. And each, you know, each of them had different qualities with to do with fly fishing. Mm-hmm. If I, sorry, if, if I could probably mention one guy that helped me a lot early on would be Matt King at Robinson's Fly Shop in Victoria. Right. Um, I love that store. Yeah, it's a great it's a great shop. And Matt is a really good guy. He's a well-known tire. He's really well-respected. <laughs> but when I was policing, and I used to police downtown Victoria, when I was working day shift, I'd always stop into the shop. <laughs> so at least once or twice a week, I'd go in there just to say hi, poke around. Invariably, I walked out with some thread or something but when i was starting out matt would help me i remember once I had my truck broken into on the vetter river um and had all my gear stolen out of it and i went to matt because i was going to claim it on my insurance and matt did a you know full uh, spreadsheet for me on the value of everything what the replacement would be vouched that i bought a lot of the stuff from him through him so he was he was just a really really big help and always has been in fact I just got a package today from him. <laughs> stuff I ordered, some fly tying stuff. So, so Matt's been a you know like a really big help, a really big influence. That's cool. It's uh, you funny uh, you brought up Fly BC because they uh, I, I'm I'm the same. I actually went to school with both uh, John and Ed. Okay, and yeah. And so uh, I just I I don't you know not that I'm really know the guys in that group a lot, but I know I run into them on on local lakes all the time, and they always yeah. seem like such a good good crew and that's that's the same with the stillwaters uh group you're involved with now why don't you tell us a little bit about your involvement with stillwaters well i i'm currently a moderator on stillwaters it's a three of us on the team brent gill um who's out at douglas lake ranch and ryan ermit who's in alberta and myself uh, brent gill started stillwaters um kind of in the early stages you know my office is right uh, um, at douglas lake was right next to his so we talked about it and he started it and then just over the next few months got it going and it grew really quickly. Um, but we had a pretty specific vision on how we wanted the group to run. Um, you know, it's really easy for a lot of those those forums to get negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the bigger they get, the harder it is to control some of that stuff. Um, so we're sitting right now at about 4,000 members on Stillwaters. Uh, but it's pretty sure it's pretty you know it's very widely recognized as being a really welcoming place yeah uh, not a lot of crap that goes on it was really really important to us that guys could get involved it didn't matter if you were a really good tire or just learning to tie that you could get on there and post a fly or ask a question and you were going to get some decent answers and not get ridiculed and um you know guys making comments that you know would be kind of hurtful and because people will you know will do that yeah so we, I, I see that a lot on on those sites, and and Stillwaters oh yeah. is one that 
you guys seem to nip that in the bud right away and it's uh I think it's appreciated by a lot of people. I'm sure you don't hear that all the time, but I think keeping those, keeping them positive, because you got a lot of younger people that are trying to get into it, and the last thing you want to do is start, you know, somebody asks a question that you've probably read 60 times before. You don't need to, you know, give anybody a hard time. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's really good, and I know we we get lots of feedback from people. Um, yeah. But yeah, keep it. You know, I'm retired, so. I spend a lot of time. I read just about everything. I'm pretty quick on the draw. If I don't like it, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get rid of it really quickly. Um, the guys call me the sheriff <laughs> because okay. because I'm always monitoring it. It's kind of like I'm, doing radar highway, you know. <laughs> I'm sensing a common theme throughout your career. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. let's um let's get to know you a little bit, Wes, uh, in and around, uh, Vancouver Island, Lake couch and area. You ready for a few, uh, random questions? Yeah, you bet. Uh, are you a music guy? So if you're, uh, you're on your way to fish to the couch or wherever you're driving in your truck or say you're going to the interior to hit some still water, what are you driving? <laughs> what are you, uh, listening to while you're driving? Maybe it's a better question. <laughs> driving my truck and I listen to absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of that's a lot of words for not a lot. <laughs> I like it really quiet. Okay, uh, you know I like music, but when I'm driving, and I think it's I've always been that way, right through my policing career, driving all the time, and um, my whole career is, you know, my whole life is revolved around driving. So I've never really been big for having the radio on or or, or music. It drives my wife crazy because if I get into her car and um, the music's on, I turn it off right away. <laughs> <laughs> What about when you're tying? When you're tying your fly patterns, have you got anything playing in the background? Um, no, it's usually pretty quiet. If I have anything on, I have the TV on next to me. I got a small TV on my tying desk, so yeah. I'll watch sports. Um, over the last couple of years, I, you know, as I really got into more fly tying, I I enjoyed watching the Canucks while I'm tying flies. Mm-hmm. So, kind of a good place for you know for for me to go for a couple hours in the evening and uh, right on. But generally, yeah, I just like peace and quiet. Okay, so let's go down that sports avenue. So I was going to ask you if you were a maybe a couch and Valley Capitals guy, or if you're a Canucks guy, Lions, Whitecaps. Um, where do you get your fix in sports? I am a huge Canuck fan, and I'm a massive Seahawks fan. I rarely miss a game. Um, I get uptight all the time when I'm watching. My nerves get frazzled, especially with the Seahawks. Mm. They just have a way of driving you crazy with the way they play. Um, it but always, I, always comes down to the last minute. I don't know what it is with them. They, they they can't get started right at the beginning of the game and get a big lead and coast. It's always right down to the end. It's uh, but it's fun, and uh, I love your football. I've I, you know played a lot of it when I was growing up, and. Uh, and I like it. I've been down. I've watched a couple of games. The atmosphere down there compared to the CFL is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, you go downtown Seattle on game day and everybody's out with the gear on and the colors and the party atmosphere. It's just really cool. But yeah. So. Yeah. It's a, and it's a beautiful stadium. Yeah, it is. It's, it's amazing. And loud. Man. <laughs> There's nothing like it. No. I agree. Yeah, even though Kingdom was so loud. Yeah. I never got to a game in the Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, it, the atmosphere in there. When you go in there, and there's like you know sixty thousand plus people. Because you go to a CFL game, and there's maybe what fifteen, twenty thousand people. Yeah, unless it's great. Cup. You, yeah, you, you triple and quadruple that in the kingdom, and it's just like so loud, and yeah. the the pageantry, the color. It's just it, it's a crazy experience. Yeah. 
where do you like to talk fly fishing? And uh, I suspect it's probably online, but is there is there a, like a local coffee shop or a fly shop or um, a watering hole you might frequent to get your fix when you're not on the water? Uh, not too much. You know, being a lake couch now, there's uh, um, there's nothing close by. Um, and even at the ranch, there wasn't a fly shop close by. So I tend to, you know, if I'm not fishing, um, then I'll tie. Um if I have a chance to go into a shop, I love going into Robinson's Trout Waters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, really, really good shops. Even on the island, there's a little one in uh, Qualicum Bay. Oh, what's it called? West Coast Fly Shop or something like that. I've been in it a couple of times. Mm. An older English guy that runs it. It's a really cool little store. He's got some great stuff. He's got stuff in there that I've never seen anywhere else. I love you know, those. Bob. I love those little stores. Like, yeah, that. there's one like I, I the two shops you just named, uh, Robinson's and. Uh, Trout waters, those are my go-to. But there's a little one, uh, Kencraft, out where uh, out yeah. towards Lumbee. I don't know if you've been in there. It, it's 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 got some hidden treasures in there. Yeah, I ha- I've heard about it. I haven't been in it, but I've heard it's it's an amazing little shop to go into. Yeah, no, hundred percent. There's I love those little finds like that one you just just mentioned there on the island. It's cool when you can kind of be. It's not always what you'd expect, and uh, I, I find it fascinating when you go into a fly shop and they have different, you know, maybe materials you haven't seen before that were or maybe older or just hanging around, lots of stock and uh, some new, uh, you know, materials to tie with. is always fun. Uh, interesting. I walked, we were up that way, and we stopped to get gas. There's a gas station next to it, and I saw the shop, and I walked over, and it was closed on the weekend um, so it was closed so i made a point of next time i went back up the way to go in so i went in that one day and i'm looking around and i was looking at his wire and he had this sculpin olive wire hmm. UTC wire, and i'd never heard of it yeah and it's an amazing color it's kind of a brownishy olive color and now i use it probably 75 percent of the time <laughs> <laughs> good score well, while we're on fly patterns, one go-to fly pattern, Wes, that you can't live without. So um, let's let's kind of narrow it down. Let's talk still water. If you had one go-to pattern, what would it be? It would be, for me, um, kind of a variation of Brian Chan's BMW. So Brian's, what do you call it? Brian's Marabou Wiggler, I think, was the BMW. Um, so it's kind of like a micro leech. Mm-hmm. I, I tie it very small probably like a size 14 or um, uh, um, sorry, size 14 uh, nymph hook. Right. So it's less than a half inch, maybe a quarter inch long. I use ostrich hurl, uh, foxtail um, and a colored bead. So it's really tiny, um, but it can be a leech. It can be a damsel. It can be a scud. It can be a chronomid if you give it a bit of a rib as well. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a really versatile little pattern, and it would be the one I take out first if I'm, you know, if I don't know the lake or if I just want to check things out. Do you fish that under an indicator ever, or is that strictly? Yes, on the... over an indicator. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty small, so it'd be, it would be a tough one to kind of strip. You could definitely strip it, but you mm-hmm. know, for me, it would uh, be under uh, um, under an indicator. What color rib on that? Uh, generally, I will do if I tie it in kind of an olive um, ostrich hurl. Then I would do um, golden olive rib. Okay. So a little bit darker and brighter um, or red. A red rib would be really good. If you tie it in black, black with a red rib, uh, brown with a copper rib, just kind of those standards. Yeah. You sitting, for me, you sitting at your tying bench right now? 
I am. <laughs> yeah, me too. I thought I thought I heard something the thread coming out or some rib come out there when you're I was gonna tie a fly while we chatted. <laughs> Do it. Absolutely. It's more authentic that way. So um I just want to get back we'll get back to your uh to your fly fishing in just a second. If you had to pin it down, Wes, um the single biggest lesson that you've learned through your experience fly fishing. Could you do that for me? I think, I think it would be to appreciate every day that you get to go fishing. Um, partly because it, you, it'll probably never happen again. You know, every day is different. Um, mm-hmm. I know I've had days. I remember a day on Salmon Lake that I went out and um, it was in October, early October, and I was using that BMW pattern. It was a, it was all red, kind of a little bit lighter than uh, maroon, um, or, or not maroon, burgundy. Um, and it had, I can't remember the color red, but it was all red. And I was anchored in maybe six feet of water. And it was all weedy at the one end. There was a bit of a channel uh, running next to the boat. And I kind of anchored in the weeds and just kind of dropped my fly and, uh, you know, into that channel. I probably caught 50 fish. For the day, I broke off so many. Hmm. Uh, it was crazy good. And I went back the next day, same spot, same thing, everything, and not one touch. <laughs> so, you know, what you experience today is going to be totally different tomorrow. Yeah. So, my, you know, my lesson is to appreciate what you do today because it might never happen, you know, it might not happen again. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what keeps us coming back to is the unpredictability yeah. of it. If it's predictable, I mean, we've all been to maybe a, you know, buddy that's got a small pond in his backyard or something or in his back 40 and it's just like shooting fish in a barrel. At some point it gets boring, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I get to the point now, I've, you know, I fished long enough and had really, really good days that I would rather get two or three, five pounders in a day than 50, you know, 16 inch cookie cutters. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, 100%. it's fun. Yeah. It's fun to have those days where you catch lots of fish. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, you, pre- what are you fishing out of when you're, you, when you're, uh, doing st- most of your still water work in the interior of BC, are you like, are you out of a John boat? Are you fishing out of a, an inflatable? What's your go-to setup? You know, Mark, I've had them all. I've had, um, you know, the fish cap. I've had pontoon boats. Actually, I still got my pontoon boat for the river. Um, Right now, I have the 11 foot Harbourcraft Fly Fisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have uh, 14, 48 um, low. So it's the one I use the most because um, it's big, it's really stable, it's great for bigger lakes. If I want to go to Roche or you know, Sheridan, mm-hmm. so some of the lakes, it's really nice to have. And it's got a 25 horse on it, so it's nice to have the power. But if I'm going to go to a smaller lake, um, then I love my Fly Fisher. It's, you know, there's just that cult thing with the fly fisher and, uh, um, it, it's really light. It's easy to, you know, throw around. If I'm just going to do a day trip, then that's the one I'll take. Cause it's, it's just easy to load. I'm asking you this from a selfish point of view, cause I'm in the market for a boat. I just about, okay. I just about had it. And I've, I've tried just about everything and buddies are seem to be getting into these Spratleys or these journeys or, yeah. um, I got a Scadden and I've got, I've got a 14 foot, uh, polar cat, which I, I like, but it's just too big. And I, I, yeah. those, I like the look of those small personal boats they have now that are, uh, you know, those aluminum lightweight, but really, really wide beams. So you can stand and cast. Yeah. They're all, you know, they all have their pros and cons. The Spratleys are, are great boats, but they're heavy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really hard. You know, they're about 150 pounds, so they become a little harder to, to load on your own. And the older you get, the harder it is. Um, yeah. You know, you can get, um, like, is it low, I think, for Lund? I think it's the Lund has the 1040 and then the 1240. I think if I was looking for a boat from that way, I'd probably go with like a 1240 because it gives you the stability and some length, but it's still a, um, a lighter boat. Uh, there's Marlin and uh, Journey, um, and they're all really, you know, you know, decent boats too, lighter um, aluminum. Then I think uh, the low and the Lund. So there's lots of pros and cons, but yeah. I, w- I don't think I would want anything shorter than 11 or 12 feet because, okay. uh, you know, you can put a bigger motor on um, and you can, you can generally be a little bit better on a, on, on a bigger lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, so, that's a good point. And you know, yeah. my old boss at the fly shop he used to work at, he said, Mark, that's like asking for a Corvette that's good in the bush. He goes, you're never going to get that one boat or that one vehicle that does everything. You know what I mean? You have to kind of figure yeah. out your sweet spot and where you do most of your fishing. And that was really good advice. That always stuck with me. Yeah. You know, I, I had a time in my life when I was on my own and I had some money and I had a trailer, a travel trailer. I had a camper because a lot of times I couldn't go in the camp or the trailer where the camper could go. Then I had the fly fisher and I had the big boat <laughs> I had the float <laughs> and it was like, nothing's perfect. So you got to have it all just in case. right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I got seven boats and I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, yeah, some of them, it's funny. Some of them I can't stand. Some of them I love. And it's just oh. like, you know, it's, it's a learning curve because you can, unless you test drive it, unless you take it out and try it, um, yeah. you know, you don't really know. And, uh, I, I'm just getting a little tired of blowing things up every time to be quite honest. Yeah. It just gets a little bit, uh, yeah, I think you can tell who's really into fly fishing the number of boats that they have. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Let's not even go there. I'll get in trouble. No, it's scary. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've taken to hiding them. I, I just put one on top of the other, and then and you, put yeah. a, you put a tarp <laughs> on it. Nobody knows it's there. It's like good luck with that. With, with another boat? No, 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 no. That's that's firewood. Yeah. It, it's very it, funny. Um, well, why don't we get back to the water? Um, I I'd like to know a little bit about your time at uh, Douglas Lake Ranch because I I sure have a lot of respect for that that place. I know. Um, the guys do an amazing, amazing job of managing some, some spectacular stillwater fisheries. Um, and I really believe there's a place for, for private fisheries. There really is because especially as the waters get crowded, I think it's nice to be able to spread it out. But let's talk about your time there. What exactly did you do at the, at the ranch? So I was hired to do security and range patrol, which is basically just driving around looking at you know scenery to be honest with you i mean it's beautiful up there i love the interior so much um but it's my job to kind of check you know gates and fences and locks and property and um just keep an eye on things in general um you know when, when the ranch is going full of bore um it has pretty close to a couple hundred employees so it's busy it, it's a big place and it's busy and i was lucky you know i was getting close to my retirement with, with policing and I was sitting at my desk in my office in, uh, in Victoria, thinking, what am I going to do when I retire? I had no idea, Mark. Didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Really no plans. And I thought, I should get a job in a fishing lodge or something like that, because that's what I love doing. And I'm kind of sitting there thinking and thinking, and I thought, I wonder what they do at Douglas Lake. I'd never been on the ranch, other than a couple times to fish, you know, Salmon Lake. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know much about it. Had ever stopped at the office or the store. So I 
fired off an email. We just went onto their website and there was their, you know, info at Douglas Lake kind of email address and told them who I was and that I was interested and coming out there, any possibilities for security related work. Like the next day I get an email back from the general manager and he's, you know, he, he told me, he says, yes, I'm very interested. Next time you're in the area, drop in and see me. So I went up like two weeks later, took some time off and went up there. And that actually was the weekend that I had that great day on Salmon Lake with that red fly. Believe it or not. <laughs> uh, so I went in and met them and had a chat and that was like I say in early October and uh, just after Christmas in January they, they you know he made me this offer and it was like this just too good not to not to go so I left policing I went up um, and it was an amazing place you know um, but about a year after I'd been there the job kind of changed its focus to occupational health and safety okay so I became the guy to deal with all the work safe issues and safety protocols. And, and it wasn't easy because you're, you know, dealing with a bunch of ranchers, farmers who have been doing it their whole life. And they really weren't interested in health and safety stuff. All they wanted to do is get the job done. <laughs> so yeah, it was that's, a little that's always, that's always the challenge. <laughs> and you know yeah. what? There's got to be a happy medium somewhere without yeah. inhibiting. Yeah. Yeah. I struggle with that. It's, uh, yeah. I know where so, you're going with that. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me, like, I'll be honest with you. I probably, you and I have probably met before because, uh, it wasn't that many years ago that I used to just call him up, give him my visa number and license plate. And, uh, we'd be at Crater or Damsel yeah. or Graveyard yeah. or Harry's yeah. Dam or, um, yeah. you know, there's so many great, great, um, fishing opportunities on that ranch, but, um, walk us through your day to day there. So that must've been tough just driving around, checking out, um, I mean, some beautiful scenery in that neck of the woods. Oh. You know, I was lucky because it's a couple hundred thousand acres up there. And uh, I was probably the only guy on the ranch that went to just about all of it. Um, you know, I would just go drive. I'd drive all day. Sometimes I wasn't even sure how to get back. Uh, but you just keep driving. And after a while, you know, I kind of learned the roads and where they were going. Um, but I could drive from S Salmon Lake to Crater Lake and actually get over towards Princeton without touching a highway. Yeah. yeah. It's all back. It was, it was it was really neat and um, well the beautiful thing about that property too is that it's unique to i mean kind of when the okanagan kind of meets uh you know the merritt kind of the thompson uh camloops yeah. area where you've got those you got i love it with the ponderosa pines and then it kind of turns to aspen and then you got just the rolling grasslands and that to me is where the big fish always are and wherever the that pine forest meets the grasslands yeah you know and it was that was that your experience working that that property oh yeah i mean you know most of the lakes are pretty open um mm -hmm. and there, you know lots of insect activity the chronomids that come off those lakes is crazy um you know they're not deep lakes uh they've got the perfect marl bottoms weeds everything to promote you know some really good still water insects like dragons and, and damsels um, scuds there's so much of that that goes on in those like i remember one lake um that i went into and it had so many different kinds of feed in that lake that it was impossible to catch fish um you know i've been up there and you look in the water and there's damsels there's dragons there's boatmen hitting the water uh there's chronomids all over the place there was everything and there's so much of it. Like, mm. I've never seen anything like it. Um, but I, and I fished that lake 
seven times and never touched a fish. Wow. Uh, I know there's huge fish in it. Yeah. Um, but it, it just it just doesn't work very well because there's so, so much of it for them to eat, right? Well, that's, that, that happens a lot. A lot of the lakes that you and I are probably fishing quite a few similar lakes over the period of, you know, a year. And, and I find that too. It's like, it's hard to know where to start. There's feed everywhere. Uh, yeah. These fish aren't hungry. And uh, if you happen to get into one, they usually are about as wide as they are long. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, big fish. so then, so is this how you um, kind of came to be doing the Stillwaters moderator thing, uh, meeting Brent Gill and the gang up there? Or? Yeah, you know, I, I had, I didn't know Brent at all. Um, I, I had heard of him and then I knew he was there. Um, but I didn't know, I didn't even know how old he was or what he was like or anything. I just ended up, you know, starting work and Brent and I ended up becoming pretty good friends. Um, we sh- obviously had a lot of common interests with, with fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we worked closely together. If he ever needed help with any of the stuff, he was the you know, recreation manager. I would help him. Um, so we did lots of stuff together and we all, we were always talking fishing and, um, you know, going to the different lakes and checking them and keeping an eye on them. You know, the one thing about the lakes up there, and I won't get into kind of the whole private access thing because it really doesn't benefit anybody to, you know, to kind of get into that, mm-hmm. um, you know, here. But the one thing with with the ranch, um, and, and a lot of it was Brent, um, was that you take a real personal um, interest in the lakes and keeping them healthy. So it wasn't just, you know, taking customers' money. It's every day checking levels. Um, and, it, you know, like in the late winter when there's ice off is happening, you're there every day looking, you know, ch- ch- checking the water, check, um, looking for dead fish. You know, there's that constant um, need to look after the place. And Brent did a really good job with that. Right. Uh, very, very, very committed to the recreational experience that people would have. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing that I learned and I, I think I saw it more at Douglas Lake than before and didn't realize, you know, there's a lot of people that fly fish. There's not a lot of people that make a living off of fly fishing. You know, you can guide, you can tie commercially, you know, that's not going to make you rich. Um, you can own a fly shop, you can own a lodge, you can do all these different things, but there's not that many people that do it. Most people are ordinary guys that are working full time, have kids, have mortgages, you know, they, they buy a travel trailer, they've got a boat, and they love fly fishing. But they don't get to do it that often. And mm-hmm. you, w- when you get on these forums, and I really noticed it with Fly BC early on, and then and not as much with Stillwaters, but there's these guys that are active in these groups a lot, but don't really get a chance to get on the water a lot. Mm-hmm. So, so when they go, they really need to have a good experience to keep them wanting to do it. Right. And the ranch offers that. So you can go to Salmon Lake where you get really nice camping. Uh, it's got a pool for the kids. So you can, t- you, um, you can take the whole family. You know, you can go, your wife can go, the kids can go. They can go fishing. You can, t- t- you know, you can take them boating. And there's beautiful drives. It becomes more of a family place. Right. Then you look at Stony Lake or the yurts on the lakes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not super expensive. So you can get a group of guys and rent a yurt for a weekend. It probably costs you no more than a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. But you got really good experience on a lake that doesn't have masses of people on it. Um, so it, it really has a value to most guys who just don't get the chance to fish all the time. And there's, you know, 
if you live in Kamloops or Merritt or something like that, then you have access to a lot of great lakes. But if you're living in Maple Ridge or Abbotsford or Richmond, right. how often do you really get a chance to go and fish a really good lake? Yeah. When they go, and they might only get to do it twice a year, you know, take you know, have a week off or a long weekend and go. Um, it needs to be really good. And and what it does, um, it, it kind of plays into a bit of a philosophy I have with fly fishing in that we have to promote fly fishing within our own community. And I mean the fly fishing community. So, um, I know I, <laughs> I'll go off on a tangent. No, here, no, I like it. I like it. Let's, let's go down this rabbit hole. Um, if, if you're in the lake, you're having a really good day. Like I had that one day. And, and I do this because of my own personal experience. The, the, I was pretty new to fly fishing. And I'd started to learn how to chronomid fish in Victoria on Elk Lake of all places. Right. Um, but anyway, I was going on a holiday with one of my trips I planned and I was going to Roche. I'm going to camp at Roche and I'm going to learn how to chronomid, you know, fish the way they do in the interior. Because on the island, it's just a deep line, like a full sink line straight down to the bottom. There's no indicators because you've got to fish 35 feet there for, for chronomids. So you go to Roche Lake and you're 50, you know, maybe, you know, maybe eight feet of water yeah. and, so I get out on the lake the, the very first time. There's lots of guys around. So I kind of move over to where a bunch of guys are and I, you know, keep a very respectful distance. And I drop, you know, I've got the gear. I got a, my indicator and chronomids. And this guy 30 feet away from me or 50 feet away from me is just hammering one fish after another. And I'm like maybe one for every 20 that he catches. <laughs> and I'm like, this is crazy. And I'm watching him. And this, but, but he knew, like he, you know, he was aware of what was going on. He pulls up anchor. And he comes over to me and he, t- he tells me that they're hitting it on brown coronament. I don't have any. So he gives me two and he tells me to move closer to him, <laughs> which I did. And I immediately started hitting fish after fish after fish. That's awesome. And, and what it did is, I mean, other than just being a great thing that this guy did, when I went back to my campsite the next morning, I drove into Kamloops. To look for brown chronomids <laughs> that I needed to try and do that again, right? So when you when you promote within, when you give, when you help people, and you be that guy who who doesn't mind giving information and advice and helping people, then you encourage those people to go to the store and buy stuff. So you, you know you can't complain when the fly shop closes if you don't do your part to um, yeah to promote from within. Yeah, that's that's Before a, that's you a good point. And you get those people buying, and you encourage them. You make them have a good. It costs you nothing, and it's not gonna it's not gonna have any impact on your fishing. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna catch them regardless, and a lot of times it doesn't matter. You know, I, I mean, everybody knows that you can be 50 feet from a guy, and everything is exactly the same depth, pattern, color, blah blah blah, and one guy's hitting fish, and you're not. Oh yeah, just because that's the path the fish are on, and you won't get them unless you're where that guy. Is. Well, how many but, times have you thrown out a chronomet and you, you'll find there's almost like a 10 foot radius around where your indicator is. And if you cast outside of that, you nothing. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Lots of times it's just luck of the draw that you happen to be in the right spot. And I've seen it so many times and I don't get, I used to get really frustrated by it. I don't anymore because I understand it now that you just have to be in that place. And then it's funny because then the next morning you'll watch all the boats go out early and everybody's trying to get to that spot that one guy was. Well, do you know now what? It's, I, I, 
into the lake. <laughs> I had a very similar experience on the same lake on Roche and we were, we were lights out and, and honest to God, we just, we didn't count. It just got stupid. And yeah. same thing. It was like maybe six, eight feet of water. It was shallow, but we were using a, uh, a black chironomid with a black, um, head and a white gill and a, and a black, uh, sorry, a gray chironomid with a black rib. And, uh, it was just like, and, and same thing. People are like, what are you guys doing? And they were right beside us and they were getting, like you said, the odd fish. But then, and, and then finally, I think, uh, buddy must've had something similar cause he switched over to, uh, to a similar color and, and it was yeah. lights out, but that, and like you say, the first time you see that it is frustrating. Cause you're like, what are they doing that yeah. I'm not doing? But the, the second those, um, kind of roles are reversed, then you get it. And it's, it's it's not always that that person is just totally, totally knows what's going on all the time. They just happen to be in the right spot, have the right fly. Um, you know, it's, and then the shoes on the other foot. And like you say, that's, that's good for the industry, right? When, when you, when you can share that knowledge. Yeah. The last thing you want is for some guy to have such a horrible experience that he leaves and he says, I'm done with fishing. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> Next thing is his gears up on the market and he's trying to you know sell this rod and, and we don't want that. We want people going out and um, enjoying it and getting the break and, um, you know, bu- you know, supporting stores, even if it's an online store. I mean, you're still supporting your store, right? I, mm-hmm. I, you know, we, I mean, I really believe in buying local, but there's lots of online shops that are local too. That's true. So, what, what's your biggest takeaway since you've been uh, helping to moderate on the Stillwater site? What, what's your takeaway on doing that? Because I would imagine you'd probably uh, pick up on some, kind of habits pretty quick or just some tendencies. Um, what have you taken away from that process? Um, I, I don't know what you're... Oh, what you're, so, so what I'm saying is is being a moderator on any, say, social media site, I'm sure it brings uh, a unique set of challenges, right? So you've got people mad about this or, or um, you know, you have to probably step in sometimes and say, yeah, hey, that's not appropriate. We can't go down that road. But yeah. What what's what's a takeaway um that that you would kind of throw out there that you've you've kind of noticed? I think, you know, as long as you set the tone on a forum of what you expect, people toe the line. Um hmm. so we have really very, very few problems um that come up. Once in a while somebody will say something that crosses a line and we don't like I don't email the guy. Or, or give him a message and go, you know, this is wrong. It's just gone. I, I get rid of it. And and if he does it again, then we'll just dump him as a member. Like, you know, we don't, we really won't put up with it. Um, and I want, and a lot of it goes back to just what I've been talking about. I want people who are pretty new at fly fishing or new at fly tying to get on there and ask questions. And we have lots of guys who are tying for the very first time in their lives. And they'll put a chronometer on there that obviously is not great. But they're asking for advice. You know, what do I do about this? How can I improve? And they get the advice, but it's done in, in, in a really positive way. Yeah. And you'll get really good tires like Trevor Tatarzik, um, Devin Sieben. Um, there's guys who are excellent tires will get on there and give advice and get, you know, give some criticism, but it's done very positively. And so as long as that, that atmosphere is there, then people will enjoy it and people understand it and you don't have the problems. Yeah. Right? But when you're, you know, I've looked at stuff and even there's one that I look at a lot, which is, um, I can't remember the name of it now, It's but it's the used fly fishing stuff that you can buy. It's worldwide, basically. You get guys from all over the place. Mm-hmm. 
But the guy puts a rod up there and he's asking too much. Well, next thing he's got 50 comments, a guy's just giving him crap for it. Like, <laughs> where's the moderators? Like, get rid of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, you guys, well, you guys do a bang up job on that. You really do. There's no doubt. And when you got, I, sorry, go ahead. I enjoy it. I enjoy the people. I know, you know, I've got to know a lot of the people. Um, so when you know them personally, it's a lot easier. Um, what we're f- finding right now is a lot of our new members are, um, are, are women, which is really interesting. So it's obviously the word out. I think that it's comfortable for women to go to it too. Mm-hmm. And questions, not intimidating. Um, we're getting more people from, um, you know, it's always been kind of, um, Western Canada, Alberta, BC, Washington, you know, a little bit from, from Oregon, but it's starting to spread now where we'll get requests, you know, a, a member requests from New York and um, a couple from overseas. Um, well, I think so it's kind of have that influence as well. I mean, a lot of the guys don't post very much, but right. it'd be, it'd be cool to have more content from, from other places too. I think fishing, um, still waters, you know, it, let's face it if, if the industry is really going to grow that's one place it's easy it's easy growth right because those blue ribbon trout streams or rivers that everyone's familiar with everyone knows their names everyone knows you know those those dream stream kind of stretches they see a lot of pressure and yeah. it's nice to be able to get out on a lake when you i mean heaven forbid you might have it to yourself i i fished a few lakes this year where there was nobody else there and i'm not yeah. talking private lakes i'm talking lakes anybody can go to and that yeah. I, I love that. It's also nice I, to have some company, but the, the solace is pretty nice. Yeah, I love going to a lake and there's nobody else there. Um, yeah. It's, it's just very, very uh, relaxing. Uh, you can just do whatever you want to do, move as often as you want. I've been on lakes when there's been so many people. And when you're anchored, you're there for the whole day because there's just nowhere else to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's and, crazy how busy it is. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We're chatting tonight with Wes Penny. Now, Wes is out of Lake Couch in BC. He's an avid fly tire, avid fly fisher, um, spent six years with the Douglas Lake Ranch. He was 19 years with the Victoria Police Department and then got into a health and safety advisor role uh, at the ranch and also moderates the Stillwater site. So what a perfect fit uh, to have on the program. Appreciate you doing this. I, I want to find out, Wes, is there something in the sport of fly fishing you'd like to see us do a little differently? Uh, anything maybe in your mind we might want to look at changing or improving? Um, that's a real tough, tough question, Mark. I, th- I think, you know, what, what I was talking about, just our own attitudes towards helping people and and um, being more willing to give out information. And that doesn't mean you have to give out your, you know, top you know, secret lake with the, with the big trophy trout in it. That's not what I'm talking about, it's, but it's just when you're out on the water, when you're talking to people, when you're on a forum, it's just be really willing to, to give information, give it willingly, um, you know, with the intention of helping people out. Um, and especially in this day and age, I mean, it's, you know, it's a crazy world. And if you can help somebody else have a really good experience, which just promotes the growth of the industry, it helps guides, it helps stores, it helps lodges when there's more people that want to get out and fish. Um, you know, and there's so many opportunities in lakes that it's not going to have this huge impact in reducing your fishing opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, for me, that's kind of just an angle that I always like to, to, to try and look at. I, I, I mean, I love giving information. I love helping. I love that 
um, you know, that maybe sometimes I have a little bit of info that I can help. You know, it's no different with my fly tying. If, if a guy wants to know how I tie a fly, I'm more than happy to tell him. Uh, if it works and it gets him into fish and he has a great day, then, you know, that's what it's all about. So yeah. urging people just to, just to help each other out, be kind to each other, give out information, keep, you know, keep, um, uh, keep your, you know, your top leg to yourself. That's fine. Um, the guy will figure it out one day, and you'll you know you'll have his own you know favorite lake. And, um, <laughs> yeah, but it, there's just lots and lots and lots of people whose opportunities are so limited that we need to make sure that they have a really good time. Let's talk about your fly time because I know how big a part that plays in your life, just based even on your Instagram site. And <laughs> uh, I mean, I I I think I I don't know how many uh, photos you put up that I've liked over the years, but I know there's quite a few. And I can tell you're up to some good things in that tying room. So t- talk to me a little bit about um, when you when do you like to tie? Are you a guy that ties all winter? Is it before a trip? Is it all of the above? I tie whenever I have spare time, um, which is a lot. <laughs> um, I, I tied very, very little until I, I went to Douglas Lake. Um, and, and what happened at Douglas Lake, especially in the last probably two years, I've tied more in the last two years and advanced in my tying the most in the last probably 18 months or so. But living at, uh, uh, at Douglas Lake, you know, it's a ranch, it's a working ranch, eight o'clock. There's not a, p- a person moving anywhere in that place. Lights are out. Everybody's in bed because they get, you know, they have to get up early the next morning. And, um, and if it's minus 25 out and I don't go to bed early, you know, not like eight o'clock, it's like, what do you do? So I started tying more. Mm. Uh, and then over the last couple of years, just having more time. My wife right now works. Um, she's usually in bed pretty early. I don't like to go to bed too early, as I said. So I'll come up to my tying room and I'll spend an hour or two just about every night tying. Um, yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy trying different things. I, you know, I'm always, I'm always looking at videos and other patterns and trying them. Um, I, I don't think that I'm a really well-rounded tire. I have a few patterns I can tie well. A lot of it I just learn and I just try. Um, well, you and your shrimp patterns, I'll tell you, you've been working on those pretty hard. I see that. <laughs> you know, a lot of that came, um, I, I learned how to tie those and that it was, it was probably about three years ago. And I watched a video on YouTube by a guy by the name of Mac. So he's European, um, but his YouTube is Mac flies, M-A-K flies. Mm-hmm. And he's got lots of videos, probably 50, 60 videos. And I was watching them one night, and he was tying this scud. And he was using that clear stretch cord and the resin. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So I started to tie it. And, I mean, you know, when I look at how I tied them three years ago, and I got really good reactions out of people to how I tie them now, um, there's a huge difference in the pattern. Um, But they're kind of unique, you know. I mean, it's like... It's nothing that I've developed. It's just something that I've spent a lot of time trying or tying and trying to perfect. And you know, I'm always changing it, adding different dimensions to it, and trying to make it a little bit different. Um, yeah, yeah. I all just watching a video. Talk to me, Wes, about your your setup. You're in your tying room right now, so if you look around you, and your uh, what's your go-to vice you like to use? Let's start there. I use the Renzetti Traveler. Um, it's the one I bought from Robinson's when I first got into, I mean, it's probably at least 10 or 12 years old. Um, I had bought a Norvice, uh, about a year ago 
mm-hmm. and uh, tried that for a little while, and I, I just couldn't adapt to it. It's, it's a different way of tying. Um, so I ended up getting rid of it and going back to my my uh, Renzetti. Um, I, I, you know, I, it's what I've always tied on. I'm very comfortable with it. Vices are funny. It, it, it is what you know, right? It's what you're used to. So that, yeah. that would probably be a difficult adjustment. But I bet you if you started with the Norvice, it would have been different. Oh, Norvice is an amazing vice. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I could have kept it and had both. But if you don't use it a lot, and I think that's the thing with the Norvice, you need to use it a lot to get really good at it. Uh, you know, for dubbing, it's incredible. It's so fast for dubbing. Yeah. Um, Spins great. You can do a lot of things with it. And my style didn't do a lot of that. Um, I really need to have um, a rotary vice because when you're doing the resin, you're constantly turning the fly. Um, you know, you have to move it. You have to uh, turn it upside down, let the resin run back, uh, put it on its, you know, like on uh, different angles if you work in the resin. So mm-hmm. my daddy just works for me. Love to have a Renzetti master, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I got I got the same as you. I got a Renzetti Traveler, and I I like it a lot. It's uh, it's it's relatively simple, but I, I I like. You know what I like about it? I do a lot of small tying, which I suspect you probably do too. Like whether yeah. it's shrimp patterns, those micro leeches, um, chronomids, and you can really work your way around that vice. Yeah, very much. Yeah, it's a really easy vice to use. What's your um, go-to in thread, Wes? What uh, what brand do you like to use? You know, I think thread is probably the one thing of all the stuff I've done with fly tying. The thread has probably been the one thing that has completely changed and opened up fly tying for me. So forever and ever, all I ever used was the Ultra 70. Yeah. Because it's a great thread for tying chronomids. And that's, for the longest time, that's all I ever tied. But if you start tying some small nymphs, um, some mayflies, and you're using that ultra stuff, it, it builds up bulk so fast that it's really, really hard to keep a small profile, especially around the eye of the hook. Um, and then about six months ago, um, and most of that came from Instagram and just you know looking at stuff and reading what guys are putting on there, I got some of that uh, Mesemperfly nano thread. Mm, yeah. Super strong, really thin diameter, and you can wrap and wrap and wrap that stuff as much as you want and it hardly ever builds up hmm. so if you're doing if you're doing like a mayfly pattern and you've got um you know fe- your know, pheasant tail um pulled back up to the eye underneath some dubbing and you're trying to get everything tied in at the eye the only thread to use is this nano silk that's a um, really good tip because- and it's you, like you can pull it really hard i have a problem now if i go back to the ultra 70 and I use it, I pull too hard and I break it because I'm used to how strong well, nano silk is. You, it's funny because I, when I started tying, I was pretty young when I started tying, yeah. probably, probably, I don't know, 12. And that, that was quite a while ago. And what I had at the time, it was all unithread. That was all I had, unithread, unithread, unithread. And you, you didn't have, maybe UTC was around, I, I don't know, but it wasn't. It sure wasn't the shops that I was, I was seeing back then. Yeah. But when I found UTC, that changed my game. So what you're saying with this nano silk, I'm going to check it out because I've, you're not the first person that's told me that. I should probably uh, start uh, acting on that because I it, it sounds that's something I struggle with on some patterns, especially some dry patterns, some small dries. Yeah. Um, you know that thread build up, like you say, around the eye. Um, there's, there's. I think it's UTC, and I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, but there's one called GSP thread 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very much like the, the nano thread. Um, but the nano thread's more expensive. It'll cost you at least twice what you would pay for the UTC. Um, but it's well, well worth the money. And I'll tell you, Mark, if you try it, you won't go back. Um, yeah, I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to follow some advice on that one and, and give it a go. Yeah. Don't, the one thing you don't want to do with it is you don't want to use your good, um, uh, um, scissors. Yeah. Good. Scissors to cut it. But why is that? Why is that? <laughs> It'll dull the scissors. Really? Yeah. Huh. So what I have, I have like a small craft exacto knife. Yeah. And I did that to cut thread. And it's actually, it's a lot easier than using you know, scissors anyway. I do the uh, same. And then you yeah. can get right in, you can, you can get, get right, into right it. to yeah. it, right? Especially on those small chronomids. Uh, there's pretty much no scissors that takes it down as, as, as uh, to the hook shank, like, like yeah. a razor blade. Well, yeah. way better. Yeah. So if you're using good scissors, you don't want to ruin them and dull them by, you know, cutting that nano thread. Um, they don't have, uh, there's not as many colors as there is in some of the others, but you know, you got your standard olive, black, brown, red, white. Um, you know, there's enough there to, to tie most things, you know, you're not going to get like hot orange and burgundies and blues and chartreuse. Well, the, but, the thread, the thread selection though, it, it's one of those topics that I see come because I'm, I'm probably, I suspect like yourself, I'm on a lot of different forums. I'm on a lot of different sites yeah. and there's a lot, there's a, a common theme. The one, the one question is threat. Thread is always a question. The one I always notice is the UV resin that keeps coming up again and again and again. Yeah. And everyone's got what they like to use, whether it's uh, crazy glue or um, Sally Hansen. What, what do you use when it comes to finishing chronomids? What's your go-to? Um, if I'm coating chronomids, I will use Deer Creek Fine that I get from Canadian Lama. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about the only time I would use it. Generally, if I'm tying flies and I'm using resin, I'm using golf products. Okay. And I bought on my desk right now, I've got two, four, six, eight. I got about 12 bottles of golf. So I got all the colors. I use probably four of them all the time. The others, very little. Um, what about but, your you know, light? My light is a golf product. Um, they've got a couple and it's really important to know what your resin, uh, the power of light that your resin needs to cure properly. Hmm. Um, the, the one golf has, it's called a golf hero. Um, and it's a five watt and I don't know the, how the numbers work, but I've used other lights on it and it doesn't cure properly. Interesting. So you've got to have light and, and you know, I think whatever company you use, whatever brand, they'll tell you what light yeah. is appropriate for their resin so if it uh, doesn't work properly explain that so it, it kind of does it not go kind of dull and doesn't really yeah. harden yeah it'll go dull it'll be tacky yeah. um the one thing you don't want to do with your with flies that you use resin ever anyway is you don't want to touch the fly after you've cured it because the resin's hot right so the you touch it if you cure it then you go and grab it to take it out of the vice and put another hook in um, you're going to take all the, the finish off of that resin and right. be dull. Well, but you got to get them to cool down and then take it off. What Otherwise. do you, I use a, a wine cork and I just, just, I don't touch it. I just put it in. And, uh, what yeah. do you, what do you do when you take them off your vice? Cause I, I, I just, sorry, go ahead. Sorry? I was going to say just, like, I, for I, me, I don't, I don't have the patience to sit there and wait for it to dry. Cause I want to get on to the next fly. So I just throw it on the cork. Yeah. I, I, I usually just drop it into my hand. So, so I don't actually touch it. It's just kind of laying in the palm of my hand and I'll just drop it on my desk and mm-hmm. just sit there for a little while. What are you working on at the bench lately? Are you, is it is it a shrimp thing right now or is it a chronomid thing? What, what have you been working on? 
You know, I tie a little bit of everything. Um, this past week, for example, I tied, I started tying these patterns and it, one of the, the things that I use and I enjoy a lot is this clear stretch cord. Yeah. So the product I use is called stretch magic and you get it from Michael's. It, um, and it's, it's actually, um, it's a beading cord. So if you do like beaded bracelets or, or necklaces, so it's a stretchy, clear, um, cord. Okay. And so I'll wrap that on a fly. Now my, my scud patterns, I can wrap that. Um, so I'll do a mono base. Like I won't use a colored thread, just a mono thread base. I'll touch the base of thread with a felt pen, maybe a like green, just very lightly. And then I'll wrap the stretch cord over top of that, um, which will you know give me the the ribbing. And then you can take fibers or ostrich hurl and wrap it in between the ribs of that stretch cord. And you push it all down to get the legs and you put resin over top of it. It's, uh, it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> but the stretch cord is really versatile. So I've been tying, and I tied quite a few this week. It's kind of like a carry type fly. So it'd be a wet, kind of a wet fly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've wrapped um, the fly with the stretch cord and used ostrich hurl, a pheasant tail for a tail, and uh, and then a hackle. Um, Somebody wants to check out this pattern. I know I'm sure they can find it on your Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? It's WG Penny. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool pattern. Um, it looks really weird when it's dry, but, but but when it's wet, it's got this really cool profile. Um, I think it'll actually be a pretty good fly. So, cool. Yeah. Um, let's take it to the water for a second. I'm curious about your dream day. If you could have, I assume it's on a still water somewhere in BC, but maybe not. What What's your perfect day? Walk us through that, Wes. I gotta. I think I'm gonna t- tell you about a day I had, because um, it was kind of an interesting day, and to me, it was a perfect day. Um, so I was. I was on a lake up um, above um, Logan Lake, up above uh, the, uh, the copper mine up there. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be a very, very good lake. Not yeah. so much anymore. I was on my own and managed to find it, and it was difficult, um, but I did get to it. When I got up there, there was nobody on the lake. There was nobody there. It was, it was awesome. Um, and, and I had my pontoon boat. Um, but I just got the boat off of my truck and getting ready to get in the water and the wind came up and it howled, Mark. And it must have been blowing probably 50 kilometers an hour. It was so strong. Hmm. And I'm like, I come all the way up here. Like, I'm not going back. <laughs> but it was uncomfortably strong. Anyway, I got in it and it blew me across the lake. I managed to drop an anchor. Um, I was kind of at the far end of the lake from the launch. So about as far as I could go, the wind at my back, knowing it's going to be hard to get back to the truck. Um, but I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I'm just stuck there the whole day because of the wind. Um, you know, every other cast is hitting you and snagging in your hoodie. Um, yeah. It was, it was, it was uncomfortable. And I, I was there for like six hours and I'm not getting anything. I'm not moving. Cause I just, like, if you try and move, you know, you're just going to get blown all over the place. So I just hunkered down and I just cast and strip and cast and strip to the point where I was getting bored. I was starting to nod off and I was, I was casting a shrimp pattern that I had and then just like out of the blue without any warning, this fish hits 
and it comes out of the water and it's as bright chrome as a steelhead. It's probably at least 10 pounds. It's huge. Biggest trout I've ever seen. And it tail walks about eight feet across the water. And it's gone. <laughs> wow. And my hands are shaking so bad, I can hardly even hold my rod. But it was so exciting. And there was so much adrenaline. And I was completely in awe of what had just happened. Mm. Um, anyway, I ended up fishing the rest of the day. Never caught another fish. <laughs> Went back. Of all the stuff I've done, it's probably the one, one of the most memorable days um, with this gorgeous fish that just taught me a lesson. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think, you know, I, th I, I mean, most days are perfect, but it's great just to get onto a lake where you've got, you know, you're on your own. Um, you know, it's a decent lake. Um, it's a little bit overcast because I don't like fishing in the hot sun. Uh, a little bit overcast, tiny bit of a breeze. You're just getting that little ripple on the water. Um, chronomids are coming off. There's swallows all over the lake. Um, you know, it's easy to t tell what the pattern's going to be, and you're marking them on your fish finder, and it doesn't take long, and you're dialed into some really nice fish. And you know that would be perfect every time it happens, but it's <laughs> we all know it doesn't quite work that way all the time. Um, no, it's true, but we've all been there when that, and that's the one thing about the fishery that we have here that's so unique. I mean, when you start talking double digit rainbows and it's not, look, that's not happening every day, but no. you, you have the chance if you frequent the right waters, you have the chance at, at a double digit rainbow, which at some point they become a different animal in my mind. Once you get past that three, four pound range, uh, they're just a beast and and you know that they'll take you into your back and just without even looking and that you know for a lot of people that creates a whole different environment because you know lots of people aren't used to catching fish that big and if you don't know what to do you can't just like hold on like you know if you try and adjust your drag or put a little you know tension on your spool um you know palming whatever you can lose that fish so quickly and uh yeah if you got you have to catch them to learn how to land them <laughs> yeah that's true you know, it's not, not, not that easy it's not going to happen that often and um i was fishing dragon lake a bunch of years back and uh you know it's another uh, a lake that had a reputation for some really big fish and i was getting into some really really nice fish and they were into my backing so quick and i was trying to you know put some pressure on them and i was losing them one after the other um anyway tom lamb um, was at dragon and he's really well-known, excellent chronomid mm. angler, a lot of lessons. And um, he told me, just let it run. He says, let it go. Let it go into your backing. He, said, he told me the fly line will slow it down eventually. And then you can start, you know, playing it and bring it back. And I started doing that and it worked. Yeah, that's that's was, a good tip. Yeah. Because you don't want to start horsing a big fish. And, and yep. if you give them any resistance, like... Uh, I always like to get it, get that uh, nail knot on the from the backing to the fly line. Get that through the guides as quick yeah. as possible, right? Because yeah, if they're running hard and that knot yeah. happens to catch even for a split, you know, second. Oh yeah, it, like it can snap your tip at that fast. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you lose a couple of big ones till you realize it's not so easy to land them. <laughs> well, you're naming some, you're hitting some spots there that uh, definitely house some some big fish. So you, I, I'm, I'm hoping that next year we can get back to some, and, and some of this, you know, COVID stuff, we could get back to traveling. 
Have you uh, you got a lot of trips you'd like to kind of get under the belt coming up next year, Wes? Um, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to go back to the interior in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming back, I've only been in Lake Couch and since April. Um, you know, coming back to the island is, is like being at home. But um, Lake Couch, so my, my fishing kind of um, direction has changed a little bit because it's more river stuff here. Yeah. I can fish the big lake, you know, Lake Couch, and it's got some huge cutthroat in it. Um, but I really want to get into, and I don't know it very well, but I want to learn to do some nymphing. Um, I'll go back to do some steelhead fishing, um, through the couch and, and so, you know, saw some of the rivers up around Port Renfrew. Um, but I definitely will go back to the interior. Um, I'll take probably a couple of weeks in the spring and go back up there and hit a couple of my favorite lakes and hook up with some friends. Um, and then I'll do it again in the fall. Um, you know, the whole idea with being retired more now is to do some of that, that fishing and, um, you know, when I was at the ranch and I'm surrounded by all these lakes, whether they're ranch lakes or, you know, other lakes. And I ended up not, you know, fishing as much as I wanted to. Um, you just get busy with doing things and because they're in your back door, there's too easy to put off till the next day and then you don't go. And, right. you know, and then when you're gone, you realize, man, why did I, why did I not you know, fish more? I think so, that's the curse of a lot of hospitality industries when you're embedded in a, you know, yeah. a facility like that and you're there every day, all day. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times you're, you're not doing what you want. You know, you're working, you're not fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey Wes, I really appreciate you taking the, uh, the time tonight. Really enjoyed our chat. And it's funny because usually at this point I'm, I kind of get into what you're selling, what you're doing. It doesn't sound like <laughs> you're, you're, you're not selling me a lot tonight, but that you're selling me some good fish stories. Yeah. And, uh, I guess one thing maybe we could say is, hey, if you haven't checked out the Stillwaters website, uh, check it out on on Facebook because that's that's a pretty sweet spot, no? I, and I'm going to end up getting probably once after you you put this out there and stuff, I'll be end up because I usually do all the member stuff when we get uh, you know lots of guys asking to to join. I go through it all, and awesome. so I'm hoping we're going to make some work for you. You might, yeah, <laughs> and you might d- be. Fun thousand members before the end of the month who knows <laughs> well well we've had brent on a couple times yeah. and i've had quite a few uh folks from from your site and and uh whenever i kind of have anything that's still water related i i post it on Stillwater. so thank thanks for for letting us do that and thanks for this conversation wes i, I really appreciate it thanks Mark. it's been fun i've really enjoyed it We've been chatting tonight with Wes Penny out of Lake Cowichan, B.C., uh, retired from the Victoria Police Force, uh, six years at the Douglas Lake Ranch, uh, helps out with the Stillwaters website. He's a moderator for that site, avid fly tire and fly fisher. Thanks for joining us tonight. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.